Welcome to Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. This podcast is designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to achieve your health and wellness goals. My goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and conversations from leaders in the health and wellness industry each week and impact over a million lives. Today, I had the honor of connecting with my friend and colleague, Sam Horn, who is the founder and CEO of the Intrigue Agency and the Tung Fu Training Institute. As a communication strategist, she helps people design and deliver one-of-a-kind presentations, pitches, books, businesses, and brands that scale their impact for good. She is also an in-demand keynoter and trainer for organizations. She is also a personal friend, mentor, and someone I respect enormously, and I'm so very grateful to have had her on the podcast, sharing her positivity and strategies for navigating our current hard conversations. Today, we dove deep into why we are so conflict-averse as a culture, what represents talking on eggshells and losing our voice, the importance of pattern interruption how to address teasing, taunting, and bullying on social media and beyond, addressing complainers, people pleasers, the power of language, and how to handle requests for free advice. I know you will find this conversation invaluable, and I know you will enjoy listening to it as much as I did recording it. Well, Sam, I've been so looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for the work that you do. I speak very openly that in the time that I was in the mastermind, you were my by far my favorite expert who came in. I just really find so much value in what you share with the world and the strengths and talents that you have. So it's really a delight to have you on the podcast, unbelievably for the first time. So as I was reading your book and thinking about what angles to take, because there's so many different angles that we could take, you know, as we're talking about, you know, being taken advantage of, our kindness can be seen as, you know, a dual-edged sword. Why are so many of us afraid to speak up? Why are we sometimes so afraid to speak up for ourselves? And I don't say this in a in a way that we can't advocate or we aren't confident. That's not what this is. But especially over the past three years, why do you think so many of us feel like our opinions and trying to express ourselves has just gotten more challenging amongst all the events of the last three years. You know, Cynthia, we're not alone. Harvard did a study and 67% of people self-identify as conflict averse. And that means that when they see a conflict, they head the other direction. And it's because we don't either want to anger people and do what we think is going to make things worse, or we don't want to jeopardize our job, or we don't want to put our relationship at risk. Many of us see conflict as fraught with danger, right? We don't want any part of it. We're out of here. Yeah. And I think so much of it, like when I reflect on why I developed into a being a people pleaser, why did I go into nursing? I like camaraderie. I like when people agree. I don't like people. Dis- it isn't that I don't like disagreeing, but I don't like strife and drama and yelling and screaming. And so for me, I have a tendency to be very conflict averse. And so it it can definitely be one of those things where, you know, it's good that, you know, you you want to be a happy contributing member to society, but you have to speak up for yourself. It's just like me kind of explain this to my teenagers. I had one who's more conflict averse than the other. 
and one who's like a bull in a china shop. And I always say like, you almost have to restrain him a little bit and then encourage the other one to speak up for himself. Like if you're not happy with the way things are going, you have to let people know they sometimes don't know otherwise. And so was it in response to the events over the last three years that this was the time to write Talking on Eggshells? Was it in response to what you were witnessing during the pandemic and feeling like in many ways we had lost all civility with one another in the the effect of being so disconnected and being scared and being upset and frustrated and angry in response to, you know, what happened globally and internationally and nationally. It is. And Cynthia, you know how my mind works. I like to juxtapose things, don't I? Yes, you do. (laughs) So unless people are driving, I hope they get a piece of paper and they put a vertical line down the center. Because in our conversation today, we're going to identify what doesn't work, those reactions that actually make things worse. And then we're going to talk about responses, about words to use instead of words to lose that actually make things better. So let's write from the top, put on the left-hand column averse, right? We're conflict averse. We're afraid of it. We avoid it. And we are once again, assuming that that conflict means we're going to put our relationship at risk. We're going to jeopardize our job. We're going to somehow rock the boat in a way we wish we hadn't even brought it up. And over on the right, put the word agency. That a lovely word. What's the word agency mean to you, Cynthia? I think so much of it is just this appreciation of who you are as an individual and how you're navigating the world and making sense of it to yourself. I mean, that's what that means to me. If you, yeah. if someone were to ask me outright, I think for so many of us, you know, depending on how we grew up or what environments we grew up in or how we choose to live our lives, you know, for me, having a calm, quiet, conflict-free environment is really important. So as you can imagine, past three years, some of us got even more quiet because we just didn't want to run the risk of it's like, I'm not lighting a gasoline. I'm not throwing a match out on social media. There were specific topics that my team and I, I instructed them, we will not discuss these things because it's not worth the blowback, the issues, the challenges of you know, trying to make sense of other people's reactions and people getting triggered sometimes or oftentimes has nothing to do with us. It's more a reflection of what's going on for them. Yeah. Well, everything you just said. And so here's the good news is that agency to me means that we have an opportunity and a responsibility to make things better. So Elvis said, when things go wrong, don't go with them. Right. So the book identifies all these things that we say in reaction. Someone says, you women are so emotional. We're not emotional. Now we are. Right. You know, <laughs> so we identify all these situations, what to do when people blame us for something that's not our fault, what to do when people uh, won't listen, what to do when people you know, are accusing us of something that's not true. And what we often say, it's on the tip of our tongue. And then what we can say instead, that's proactive instead of reactive, that actually helps instead of hurts. So yes, to answer your question is it's getting worse. A lot of podcasters say, Sam, is this like talking on eggshells, this being anxious, worrying what to say, you know, feel we can't say anything right. Is it getting worse? It is. And I think part of it is the snark on social media is the takedown artists, the trolls, where something happens and we just comment 
without even considering the consequences, without asking ourselves, is this going to hurt this person? You know, is this adding value? So part of what you and I are talking about today is how to be a pattern interrupt. When things go wrong, don't go with them, make them right. And here's all these different ways we can do that. And I think it's so important because it's so easy. Like when I I have a younger brother and when I was growing up, my mother would say, you know, he's four and a half years younger than me, enough years that he would do things just to incite an argument, a fight, just because he wanted attention. And, you know, he was less mature than I was. And his way of doing that was usually to pick on me. And my mom would say, don't give him the satisfaction. Just don't give it to him. And here's the thing. Intellectually, you understood that emotionally, though, right? So let's talk about what to do if someone, your word, incite. If someone, we know they're deliberately trying to manipulate us or make us feel guilty or trigger us or something like that is over on the left is to react, which, you know, why are you doing this to me? I don't deserve this. This isn't fair. All of that actually use, you use the word fuel. It fuels their fire because rewarded behavior gets repeated, right? So if they're trying to incite us, to rile us up, to put us on the defensive, and we react defensively, they're going, it's working. I'm going to keep doing it. Over on the right, do you know what we do instead? We name the game. We ask ourselves, what is it they're doing? And we say it. So if you say, I'm just going to make up your brother's name here. You know, let's say his name is Tom. You know, if we say, oh, Tom, trying to get my attention again. That's exactly what he's trying to do, right? At work, I had a woman, she said, I work for a small law firm for a senior and his son, the junior. Well, senior will come in and give me a priority task. And half an hour later, junior comes in, gives me another task. She says, they're driving me crazy. I said, okay, no, ask yourself, what are they doing? She said, they're putting me in the middle. I said, say that, go to them and say, hey, you know, so-and-so asked me to do this. You asked me to get this done first. Please don't put me in the middle of this. Please decide which is the priority project, and then I'm glad to do it. It's like you can say to a used car salesman, you're not trying to rush me into a decision anymore. Not anymore, they're not. It's um, Melissa Rivers said of her mom, Joan Rivers, my mother was a travel agent for guilt trips. (laughs) (laughs) If someone's doing that, say, oh, guilt that doesn't work with me. What else you got? And you see how naming the game surfaces the game and neutralizes it. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise. So you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data 
and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I have used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code EWP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients. And it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. And I think this is really important because in many ways, whether it's teasing, taunting, trolling, whatever it is that you're experiencing, or just miscommunication, you know, the two senior and junior partners coming to you and asking you to do differing work tasks. I think half the battle is taking a second before you speak, because that's something that I learned very quickly, not only in acute environments and healthcare, when sometimes things were going south, patients were very sick. It was very easy to be very abrupt with people that you needed to motivate to get things done a certain way. And I would always take a brief second and I would just be very direct, very concise. But I think what we're really speaking to is giving yourself an opportunity to find a reframe instead of reacting. You know, uh-huh. exactly what the bullying, the teasing, the taunting, the inappropriate, you know, requests, what they're really trying to do is distract you. It's like it makes it much easier if they have you disarmed so that you're not thinking. And I always remind people that when we're in a situation, where maybe we're stressed or we're hurt or we're just, you know, we are our amygdala, which is our lizard brain overrides our prefrontal cortex. And we can't have, we can't step in and use executive functioning. 
we don't make good decisions. We don't say the things we want to say. We're coming from a place of reaction or ego even. And I do find on social media as an example, this is where people, instead of taking two seconds and saying, I'm not responding to this person, they respond and it's like they've lit up, you know, it's just they've had an explosion. Now, all of a sudden, they've got a big problem. And I remind people, and I'm sure you probably do this as well, that whatever's on social media is forever. As I try to explain to my teenagers, you know, don't post pictures you don't want available forever. Don't say things you don't want available to forever. And so helping people understand that half the battle is naming the game, remove the incentive for them to continue with the behavior, but also, you know, identifying what is the impetus for this person. Some people, the trolls is the best example. They're not looking to be your buddy. They're there to just, you know, it's almost like they create a wonderful mess and then they leave and move on to the next victim. And I think in light of the past three years in particular, as you've said, it's just people are becoming less civil, less kind, less likely to be in a mindset where they are interested in being a partner, being harmonious. What they want to do is incite stress and disorder wherever they go. They want to incite people to overreact. They want to incite people to not hold their tongue and say things that they don't perhaps would not have otherwise in another circumstance probably meant to say. And then it just creates more problems. And here's the good news is that we can be the pattern interrupt, even if that is all true. And that is the case. Our role and responsibility is to be a force for good. Now, let me give you a real life example of how we can do exactly what you said is to resist the urge to say what's on the tip of our tongue, to take a moment and say something that's mindful rather than mindless, is that uh, my Aunt Kay volunteers for a hospital. And she did this even during COVID. And I said, well, put me, I said, what was it like? She said, stressful. I said, Put me in the scene of a stressful situation where someone took their anger or frustration out on you. Cynthia, she didn't even have to think about it. She held up her phone. She said a woman ran into the ER holding up her phone saying, I just got a text from my daughter. She was in a car accident. She's in the ER. I need to get in and see her. Well, Kate called the ER. The nurse told her someone was already with the daughter. And you remember the rules. It was one visitor per patient or no. And she had to give that bad news to the mother. And the mother lost it and is screaming at Kay. Now, people are taking notes over on the left, put these two words, how rude. Because if we say, how rude, why are they blaming me? This isn't my fault. I didn't make the rules. Do you see how it takes us down the rabbit hole of resentment and resistance? Instead, Kay asked herself four words over on the right. You know what they were? How would I feel if my daughter were in the ER and I couldn't get in to see her? And Cynthia, it moved her from impatience to empathy, from contempt to compassion, and from there's nothing I can do to let me see if there's something I can do. She called the ER back. She said, who is with the daughter? It was the Uber driver who had brought the young woman in. Kay was able to explain the situation to him, thank him. He left and the mother was able to get in with the daughter all because your word reframe, how would I feel instead of how rude? And it gave her the incentive in that situation to figure out what is something she can do instead of there's nothing I can do. Why do you think so many people struggle with the concept of empathy? Hmm. Ah, what a lovely phrase and question. I think it's because it's not taught. 
It's that I think that parents try think about how do we teach empathy to our kids? How would you feel if someone stole your toy? How would you feel if someone wouldn't invite you to play with their group? We try to teach empathy. However, as you've pointed out over on the left, a lot of the predominant feelings these days is impatience and irritation. It's we're on the road and someone cuts in front of us. And the default, the default is, ah, you know, why did that? You know, so I think part of our busy, busy world is a default of irritation and impatience. And the reframe to empathy is to ask ourselves, How would I feel if I were in their situation? How would I feel if this were happening to me? I don't know what's going on with them. And the seconds it takes to ask ourselves those questions, we may not like or agree with their behavior. We may understand where it's coming from, which gives us the incentive to be a little bit more compassionate instead of reacting with contempt. No, I think that's such a good point. I I feel like in many ways, it wasn't when I became a nurse or a nurse practitioner, but when I became a parent, I viewed the world so differently. And I think that in many ways, you know, we have tried to ensure that our, our kids are growing up to be attuned and sensitive to their peers and loved ones. But I do think that in many ways, you know, when we're talking about empathy, I feel like when I became a parent, it opened up a whole new side of my heart. I mean, I was always a loving, kind person, Mm. but my mindset, every time I would volunteer in a classroom, because I have two teenagers now, but I volunteered in their classrooms and there was always a kid that usually another little boy that like couldn't sit still, couldn't listen, you know, would create all this, you know, mischief and little boys are active and moving. And sometimes it's hard to, you know, keep their attention focused And one day my youngest son said something to me about this little boy. And I said, you know, I get the sense that that little boy probably doesn't have at home the things that you have based on what this little boy had said to me. And I said, I think that you have to be kinder and more understanding that he probably may not be in an environment where he gets to have a warm meal and a warm bed. He may not have two parents that are home with him. He may not have the structure in his life that he needs. And I don't think he wants to not behave. I think he's struggling to exist in this environment, even at first or second grade. And so for me, I feel like the switch flipped when I became a parent. I viewed things very differently. I kept saying, that's someone's child. And I know how much I care about my children and how much I care about, you know, the health of all children. But all of a sudden becoming a parent, it was like a switch just flipped for me. And I viewed everyone, whether they're an adult or a kid, I'm like, that's someone's child that's out there. I don't think that's not what that parent wants for that child, but we all have to be a little bit kinder, a little bit more patient, a little less apt to react, to take a second and to think, you know, I I was like, we're not animals. We're designed to have the ability to have that higher level executive thinking. And I think a lot of people forget that. You know, Dalai Lama said, whenever possible, be kind. It is always possible. (laughs) And see, we may agree with that in theory, and yet in the reality of our rush, rush world, right? Many of us, we're running from the moment we get up, you know, get the kids up, get off to school, head to traffic, all day long. So once again, the automatic reaction often is one of irritation. So how can we be kind? It's um, when you were talking about that young boy in your class, in one of my Tung Fu workshops, there was a woman who had six special needs kids in her class. 
and she did not have a TA. She had 28 kids in her class, six with special needs, and she found herself constantly irritated and resentful of them for, for disrupting the classroom. And then there's a documentary and it has the strangest name. It's called Fat City. However, what it is like is that it, the cameraman, pretends he has ADHD. So the camera is like over here and then here and then here and then here and said, this is what it's like to have ADHD. This is how your brain works. This is how your eyes are darting around. This is how you're, and the light bulb went off in this teacher's mind. And once again, instead of seeing these children as disruptive, for the first time, she had put herself in their shoes and imagined what their world was like. And it is a way to fast forward through frustration because when we put ourselves in their shoes, almost any time we're frustrated, we're only seeing things from our point of view. Yeah. And I, I think I, I remind my children all the time how blessed and fortunate they are for many reasons. But I always say sometimes our life circumstances are we have no control over, you know, whether what family you're born into, where you're born you know, what part of the country or what part of the world you live in, you have no control over that. And so you're incredibly fortunate if you grow up with, you know, these couple of things, if you have this, I mean, that's way more than the average person has. And so trying to help my kids develop an appreciation for how fortunate they are, but also having the opportunity, you know, we're, we're now in a new part of our state. We lived in Northern Virginia for a long time. We're now in a new part of the state and there's lots of wonderful pros. And then there's a couple cons. And I tell my kids all the time, I think you're going to be better prepared for college because you picked up in the middle of middle school and you moved. Imagine, you know, if you spent birth to 18 in one place and then you went off to college, I think that would be a little bit of a harder transition. Obviously, these are very minimal things that they've had to deal with. But I think in so many ways, we're so fortunate that we grow up the way that we do and we don't even realize it. So when you see the way other people live, it's like all of a sudden, I don't have anything to complain about. I actually am incredibly, incredibly fortunate. See, I can only imagine that people listening are thinking, I agree with this in theory. Sometimes it's a little harder to do in the real world, right? There's, you're not thinking of this. You don't understand where I work. It's like you have no idea what it's like. So words matter. And words really are the river that runs through the book of talking on eggshells because uh, over on the left is the theory or the idea or the philosophy. And people are going, yeah, 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 that makes sense. How do I do it? Well, here's an example. Let's imagine somebody does something wrong, right? They've made a mistake and or we have to give feedback. And a quick example that shows the difference of what we usually say when we're giving feedback and somebody's made a mistake or done something wrong and how, once again, it takes us down the rabbit hole of resistance and resentment and what we can actually say that sets up a ripple effect of rapport and respect. So ready for the example? Yes. I was uh, visiting my son, Andrew, in New York, and his one-year-old son, Hero, was crawling across the floor, and he pulled himself up on a guitar that was on a guitar stand in the country, in the corner. He started banging on the strings. Now, over on the left, Andrew could have said no. He could have yanked the guitar away. He could have said, stop banging on the guitar, all of which would have made it worse. <laughs> over on the right, he said one word. Do you know what it was? Gentle. Cynthia, I saw Hero's face transform in front of me. And he reached back to the guitar and went strum, strum, strum. And Hero made music in that moment 
because instead of criticizing his behavior, Andrew coached it. Instead of shaming it, he shaped it. Instead of Hero losing face over that situation and feeling bad, he actually learned from that situation on how to do it better. And to me, that those are the words. When somebody is doing something wrong is to get rid of the word should, to get rid of the word stop, and to get rid of the word don't. Because if we say stop hitting your sister, they're going to keep hitting their sister. (laughs) You know, don't interrupt me. They're going to keep interrupting us, you know. So instead of stop, it's start. Instead of don't, it's do. And to paint the picture with words of what we do want instead of what we don't. And that's how we give feedback in a way that people can listen to it and learn from it and do better instead of just making them feel bad. Now, were your parents that way with you and your siblings? I know that you talk uh-huh. about growing up and you know what that was like. You had a brother and a sister. And I'm curious, is this something that you developed in response to how you were parented or like, how did this process come around for you? Because, you know, to me, that really typifies your son learning from you, you know, how do we find this reframe? How do we redirect what my one-year-old son is doing? And just that one word gentle and how clear the one, his son understood that like, oh, okay, I know what I need to do now. It's uh, we grew up on a ranch in a very small town, more horses than people. And I'll always remember that the cattle got out. We got a phone call like at two o'clock in the morning and the cattle had broken through the fence and we're out on the county road. So, well, my dad woke us up. I had a brother, an older brother and sister, and uh, the belly aching and the blaming began. Cynthia, it's like, well, you're the one who don't look at me. I wasn't the, and my dad said, you can belly ache or you can get busy. (laughs) You know, that won't get him, blaming won't get him back in the pasture. Let's all pitch in. Let's find him. Let's get him back in. Let's fix the fence. And then we'll figure out in the morning how to keep this from happening again. So if people are taking notes, put blaming, you know, it's finger pointing, right? And over on the left hand column, put find fault. Well, well, you're the one who dropped the ball. Don't look at me. I didn't get, no, instead of finding fault, find solutions or instead of belly aching, get busy. And that's once again, that's the theme that goes through this is no, how can we figure out? Well, JFK said it best. He said, our task is not to fix the blame for the past. It's to fix the course for the future. And you see, when we shift people's attention to that, now we're pulling together on how to prevent this or handle this more effectively instead of back and forth about who's to blame and whose fault it is. Now, that divisiveness, I mean, it just, it can be so persistent, pervasive, and problematic. And I love that you kind of wove that story about your family. I do remember reading that in the book and thought, what a wise dad to kind of redirect. Okay. I know it's two 30 in the morning. You're tired. We've got, we need, we need to be solutions oriented because right now the blame game is not going to help us get the cattle back into where they need to be. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep 
challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believe that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bi Optimizers. Masszymes is a full spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product with five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Now, when we're thinking about, you know, finding solutions, I think a, a great deal about all of us that are, all of us that have businesses, we're in a customer service oriented world, right? How do we address, and it's inevitable, you're going to get feedback. Some of it's, hopefully most of it's positive with a, an occasional bit of constructive criticism, but how do we deal with people that 
or complainers. And I mean, and they're out there. There are people that are just persistently expressing themselves in a way that's oftentimes not positive. How do we redirect or find a solution to addressing their concerns, but also not feeding into it? It's so, if people are taking notes, put down complaint. What can we do when people complain? And I'm going to say something that flies in the face of what we think would be the right thing to do. Put in the left-hand column, explain. When people complain, don't explain because explanations come across as excuses. They actually make people angrier because they feel we're not being accountable. So over on the right, put the A train, A for agree, A for apologize, A for act. Say we're late picking someone up. You know, you were supposed to be here an hour ago. Don't blame me. I've been in traffic all this time. Why did you call me? I didn't know if you were in some ditch somewhere. See, back and forth we go. Look what happens if A for agree, we say two of the most powerful words to turn a conflict into cooperation. You're right. I was supposed to pick you up an hour ago because most of the time people complain, they have a legitimate reason to do so. We don't argue with it. We acknowledge it. And then the second is we say, and not, but I'm sorry that happened, but it was this department. I'm sorry that happened, but our policy, no, no, no. And (laughs) we say, I'm sorry you ended up waiting so long. Now, sometimes people say, why should I apologize? It's not my fault or I didn't do anything wrong. (laughs) Cynthia, you've heard the phrase, we can be right or we can be happy. (laughs) See, I think we can say, I'm sorry you didn't get that package as promised. I'm sorry that you didn't return or you didn't receive a return call. And it doesn't mean we're the one who made it happen. It means we're putting ourselves in their place and acknowledging their inconvenience so they feel seen and heard and understood. And then the third A is act. And I've got that information you requested. And in the future, I'm going to build in a cushion for Murphy's Law. Do you know the A train expedites complaints, explanations, aggravate them? Yeah, it's interesting. When I was reading through that section of the book, I kept thinking, There are so many people that we interact with on a day-to-day basis. And I sometimes this this might be the stage of life I'm in, but sometimes I'll just say to people when I'm trying to provide, I'm like, I'm a business owner myself, but I'm just going to give you some feedback in a very polite, constructive way. And sometimes they're so taken aback. And I just say half the battle is just acknowledging what has happened. Like you said, I understand that the package arrived late. I understand that the reservation was not taken at the time that it was assigned for. I said half the half of it is just acknowledging what's happened and how much that can allow people to not be looking at things from a place of anger. They're like, okay, this has been acknowledged. Okay, let's move forward. And I think in many ways, again, with the way that our culture is kind of evolving into, it's almost as if people forget for a second, like beating up on the person, emotionally beating up on the person on the other end of the phone or the person at the restaurant or whatever. I mean, there's no purpose in doing that. There's really no purpose. Everything you just said, if people over on the left put adversary, over on the right put ally, over on the left put side against side, over on the right 
put on the same side. And that's a lot of what this language in the right does. You know, instead of once again, arguing who dropped the ball, arguing it's not my fault, arguing that, you know, when we agree or acknowledge with what's happened and then we move forward, we are on the same side instead of side against side. Mm. Want to know what to do if someone accuses us of something that's not true? Yes. <laughs> okay, so people put that down on the left. It's like someone makes some accusation. It's it's not right or fair or kind. And over on the left, put the word deny. Because once again, the default is to deny it. In fact, I'm speaking at a leadership conference and a woman put her hand up and she said, why are women so catty to each other? Cynthia, I knew if I argue, well, I don't think women, look, all right, we're kind of proving their point. So instead of denying, you use this word a few minutes ago, we redirect it. And here are the words we say, do you know what I found? We do not repeat the negative accusation because if we repeat it, we reinforce it. We say, do you know what I found? Women are real champions of each other. You know, I wouldn't have this job if someone hadn't recommended me. Or there's another way. Say someone, you've been talking about customers. Say someone says, you don't care about your customers. We do too care. Uh-oh, see how it goes down? <laughs> so instead of arguing, you know, or taking exception to what they're saying, say these four words. What do you mean? Because they may say, well, you know, I, I've been standing in line here for 15 minutes and no one's even looked up. Oh, the real issue. We can now address that instead of reacting to the attack. Say someone says, you don't love me anymore. I do too. How could you? Ah, look what happens when we say, well, what do you mean? Or why do you say that? What makes you? Well, we haven't been on a date in months. Ah, the real issue. You never listen to me. I do too. No. What do you mean? You have your head in your phone. You Ah, those words have the power to surface the real issue so we can address and often fix that instead of arguing with the accusation about whether or not it's true. Now, it's interesting. I have teenagers. And so now we have be even better conversations, but now they become very real conversations. One is applying to college right now, and that has opened up a can of worms for a lot of different reasons. And so he was upset one night recently. And I said, you know, let's talk about this. And it was his perception of how his dad and I were reacting to a couple universities he wanted to apply to. And I said, can you help me understand what it is that you're frustrated with? And then he explained himself and I said, oh, you know, I, I think part of this is perhaps your dad and I weren't more clear about these few things. You know, we live in a state where there are great state universities, but like most states now, they're admitting more people from out of state. So you, the game is now that you have to apply to multiple schools, even ones outside the state. And I said, I hope you get into your first choice. I hope you end up in Virginia selfishly. That's <laughs> your mom. I hope you end up in Virginia. But if you end up in Indiana or you end up in Georgia, that's okay too. You know, wherever you end up is where you're supposed to be. And he said, oh, I thought it meant you didn't care because you were like, oh, apply to all these schools. And I said, no, it's a numbers game. But your dad and I just want you to have the most opportunity to get into is so you have a choice is ultimately what we were coming down to. But it's amazing how even with the teenagers, the teenagers, the boys, even with them, ha asking them, can you help me understand what it is that is frustrating you? Because I can see that you're upset and I can see that you're frustrated. 
And then they don't feel quite so defensive because the normal reaction is, what are you talking about? I mean, that's, you know, you automatically, it's like you have to really be thoughtful about your response, especially with your loved ones, because it's so easy in many instances for us to react out of frustration or anger or just, you know, you're tired and guard is down and you say something in a way that you didn't mean to say it. And that's never the intention. I think sometimes many of us do a great job outside of our home and not as great of a job with our (laughs) very close loved ones. You know, and I hope people write down what you just said, put conflict on the left and put clarifying conversation on the right. And as you said, so a 60 second story is that a young woman who had a job was up for promotion and then was told she was in danger of getting fired. And now over on the left being conflict averse, she normally would have left crying, would have gone home, would have rehashed, you know, I can't believe this, why, you know, and would have isolated herself and gone down the rabbit hole. And instead, her therapist had given her those powerful words you just said. She went back to her manager the next day and said, could you please help me understand how I was up for promotion at the beginning of the week and I'm in danger of getting fired? And then the manager explained that a customer had complained. She remembered the situation. She was able to let her know what happened. The manager ended up thanking her and giving her the promotion. Look at the different scenarios of isolating, rehashing, going down the rabbit hole of like, I can't believe you said that. That's so that's so unfair to could you please help me understand? Yeah. I mean, that just the way that you direct the conversation has so much to do with the end result. And I think the older I become, the more I realize that you know, that clarifying I'm married to an engineer. Mm-hmm. The engineer is very, very conscientious about the way that he phrases things. And it's not surprising. It's the way his brain works. Yeah. I think some engineers can be the opposite, but he's very thoughtful and methodical when he's talking about things. And I've learned a lot in communication patterns with him, take a pause, think before you speak, you know, think about how it can be interpreted. You want to make sure that, you know, you still have effective communication because once that shuts down, you know, once someone's already decided that they're not interested in looking at things from your perspective or taking into account the way that you may have perceived those actions, that can lead to a lot of miscommunication that can otherwise be avoided. Now, we were talking about this before we started recording. And as an entrepreneur, I know this is a a concept that you are well familiarized with, and it's one that I am becoming much more well familiarized with. How do you handle requests for free advice? (laughs) And this is something that has that comes up with greater frequency. And I always say, you know, with the expansion of a business, you understand there are sometimes other nurses, nurse practitioners will reach out. They'll just say, I'd love to pick your brain. I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. How do we handle? those kinds of opportunities, but also ensure that we're being respectful of our own boundaries and our own needs. Because as a reformed people pleaser in the past, sometimes I didn't do such a good job with this. And so it's something I have to actively work on. I'm so glad you brought this up because whether we're a doctor or a lawyer or a coach or an author, especially if we've had some success, people will want to pick our brain, which can we just all agree never to use that phrase again? (laughs) Is that an inelegant phrase or whatever? And it's close uh, sister or brother is, uh, can I buy you a cup of coffee, right? (laughs) And so now 
Cynthia, you and I both, we believe in giving back, right? We want to contribute to people in our profession. We want to help people who are early in their career. So I'm not talking about being draconian and just saying, nope, you you know, I figured it out by myself. You can, no, no, no. Over on the left put no rules and over on the right put rules. Because see, most of us don't have any rules around this, which means that often we're caught off guard. And maybe this is a friend. Maybe this is someone, you know, that we want to spend. However, when they say, can I pick our brain? If we do not have a clearly defined rule, we will often, under the pressure of the moment, because we don't know what to say, say sure, and then we end up resenting them. And no rules is a prescription for resentment and feeling taken advantage of. And I'll always be grateful to my friend, Mariah Burton Nelson, who said, Sam, people can't walk all over you if you don't lie down, right? So look over on the right about rules. And I got real clarity about this years ago because I was a pretty successful speaker and author and I was having a lot of people. So here's my rule is that number one, when someone asks to pick your brain, you never say yes in the moment. And here's why. Because if you say yes in the moment, you have just set a precedent that you are available anytime they want to pick you, ask you a question. Dangerous precedent, slippery slope. So if someone asks, I need your advice, you know, I want to know, you say, uh, you know, let me get my calendar and see if I have time next week. Cause now you're letting them know. You have a busy schedule. You schedule things. You don't just willy-nilly say yes to whoever wants your time and attention whenever they want it. So number one, you schedule it. And then you say, I've got 15 minutes available on Tuesday at nine o'clock or on Friday or three, which works better for you. Now, we have just put a frame around that 15 minutes because I believe in giving people 15 minutes of input on their book, on their speaking career, on their, um, you know, launch or something like that. Now, at the beginning of the phone call or the meeting, whatever it is, the first words out of our mouth are, what shall we focus on to make the most of our 15 minutes together? Do you see how we put them in control of the conversation and in a very clear and diplomatic and firm way, we let them know we've got 15 minutes. Now, about two minutes before the end of 15 minutes, we interrupt and we say, we've got about two minutes left. What would you like to focus on before we wrap things up? And and once again, do you see, this is diplomatic. I'm not being draconian about this. Now, when the 15 minutes is up, we say, I am so glad we had an opportunity to talk about your book, about your career, about that interview, et cetera. You know, and if they say, oh, just one more question. Oh, but I'm not <laughs> finished. It's like, oh, this is so valuable. Can we keep going? Then you say, I will be glad to give you my business manager's information. She can send you our consulting information. You're welcome to select a package that works best for you. Best wishes with that book. Do you see how this is a balanced way of giving with boundaries in a way that has them respect us and respect us instead of just pleasing people doing what they want and then end up resenting them in the process because we didn't have a clear boundary or rule. 
That's so beautifully gracious. And when, as I was kind of reading that section in the book, I was like, oh, so timely. And then (laughs) reaffirming to hear that again, to hear you say it out loud. And then, you know, we actually put some things in place within my business specifically for that because well-meaning people would reach out and I tell my team, I don't have 30 to 60 minutes to sit down and chat about all the things like that's not a good use of my time <laughs> unless there we've agreed upon a degree of compensation and support. Now, Sam, one of the things I love best about you is you have this prolific amount of forethought and recall for quotes. You love using quotes. And so one of the favorite ones that I you started your book with was a teacher affects eternity he can never tell where his influence stops. And so I think about you, when I read that, I thought this is very much something I think of in terms of Sam, but with hundreds of quotes that you have accessible, seemingly at any point in the time and conversation, do you have some favorites that you love to use the most or ones that are most poignant or the most impactful that you use in your work? It's, uh, first, thank you for bringing that up. And you're right. Years ago, when I was a small town, once again, I was the eighth grade valedictorian, big deal, small town. And so I gave my little 10 minute uh, valedictory address to my dad, who ran ag education for the state of California. And when I finished, I said, what do you think? And he knew I wanted honest feedback. And he said, it's an okay talk. You just didn't say anything I hadn't heard before. You know, this was a little bird leaving the nest and so forth. And he said, it is our responsibility if we ask people for their time and attention to introduce something they haven't heard before. So back in the days of Reader's Digest, remember how they have these little one word (laughs) quotes, etc. If I saw something that got my eyebrows up, I would tear it out. I would write it down. And the key to remembering quotes is to think of where you would put it. Where would I use that? What point in this book? What chapter? What idea in a presentation? And then to repeat it, you put it in a beat so it's easy to repeat. You put it in a beat to make it easy to repeat. So a couple of quotes from the Talking on Eggshells book. One is from Joyce Meyer. And she said, life may give you a cactus. You don't have to sit on it. (laughs) (laughs) So see... Everything we've been talking about, Cynthia, is a cactus, right? Someone's blaming us for something that's not our fault. Somebody makes a mistake, drop the ball. We don't have to sit on it. Here are options, alternatives that can help us be proactive instead of reactive. And Esther Hicks said, my happiness is on me, so you're off the hook. Ooh, isn't that good? And Pema Schroden said, Do not let people pull you into their storm, pull them into your peace. So to see all of these quotes lend itself to the juxtaposed cactus, get off the cactus, storm, pull them into their peace, right? It's like other people are responsible for our happiness. No, we're responsible for our happiness. And in that way, we're constantly shifting our behavior and our beliefs and our attitudes and in actions in a way that we're a pattern interrupt and a force for good. I can't think of a better way to have ended the conversation, Sam. What a pleasure to have had you on the podcast. Please let listeners know how to connect with you, how to purchase your book, how to reach out to you on social media if they are looking to work with a wordsmith, word sleuth, someone that helps with public speaking. I certainly have benefited from working with you as well. 
Well, thank you. It's uh, They're welcome to go to my website. It's easy to remember, samhorn.com, S-A-M-H-O-R-N. And information is there, how to work with me if you've got an important presentation coming up or you're thinking about writing a book or want to start your own business. And I also hope that people follow me on LinkedIn because you and I are writers, Cynthia. We love to see our life as our lab and then to write about our experiences and our epiphanies and share them. So I hope people follow me on LinkedIn because that's where I write about the people I'm meeting and the insights I'm having, hopefully in a way that's a rising tide platform that adds value for all involved. Absolutely. Always an invaluable resource for sure. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.